Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, like his, his students, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And this is what I've been seeing with my own eyes. I've been seeing people hopeless and helpless, like people without a shepherd. What that means is that people don't have a guidance in their life. People could, live, people could work a job and have a family and still be lost. I know it, may, it might sound hard to believe, but people are walking without, like, like if they have blindfolds on. They're just walking. They have a job. They have, they have a family. You know, they have a car. They have all this good stuff that we would all consider good. You know, our lives are stable, but if they don't have someone to guide them, then they're all lost. They're all hopeless. So this whole, you know, this whole month we've been going out to Logan Square, and we've been seeing a lot of families, you know, like mothers with children or whole families and people just walking by, and people stop because they're hungry. They, 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 they want to know what we have to say. Some people do reject, you know, Jesus, whatever, it's religion, but we see lives change before our eyes out there. We see people take the blindfolds off and say, you know what, maybe something's different out there, you know? And the only reason why is because Jesus, he's mighty to save. He's ready to save the ones that are hopeless and the ones that are helpless. And he just wants to use regular saints like us, people who have accepted him to, to give the message to their friends or family or go on the streets with us. He wants to use his church. And he's worthy to be praised, which is what we're about to do. Because undeserving people like us that sinned against him, he gives eternal life to. I'm going to pray for the service right now. Father God, we glorify you in this place, God. Knowing that you're, you're, you're so quick to save people when we're not quick to run to you, God. But God, we glorify you. We give you this time, God. Soften hearts, God. Have your way in this sanctuary because this is a place where we engage with your presence, God. And I pray that every heart here will be aware of your presence, God. And that you will do something different. Whatever you want to do, God, we give this time to you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, I want you to look at your neighbor and say good morning. Good morning. Come on, how many of you guys are awake and ready to worship God in this place? Come on, say good morning. Come on, I want you to take that same neighbor and say, come on, let's go up to the front. We're going to worship God. Come on, this first song talks about the Holy Spirit raining down. And man, this week there was some droplets. How many guys felt the droplets this week? And it covered everything. And man, that's what we're asking God to do in this place, for his spirit to cover every part of us, every person in this place. So right now as you're up at the altars and you're at your seat right now, can you just lift your hands up before God and just say, God, cover me. Cover me in your spirit. Cover me with the rain of your presence. Come on, where you're at right now, say, God, cover me. Trench me. Trench me in your presence, Lord. Trench me in your presence, Lord. I'm here to be drenched in your presence, Lord. Fill me with your presence, Jesus. Come on, he wants to hear you this morning. Come on, tell him, drench me, God. Drench me, Lord. Drench me in your presence, Jesus. We want more of you, yeah. Hey, yeah. 
come on. That's it. We're setting our mind on you, God. We're setting our heart on you, Jesus. It's all about you, God.
you keep pressing forward right now? Come on. Can you keep pushing closer to him? Come on, like that woman with the Ishwa but pushing past the crowd. Can you push past your neighbor this morning and get to him? Come on, in your secret place right now, just you and him. It's just you and Jesus right now. Come on. Can you push past your neighbor, push past yourself and say, God, I'm pushing closer to you. I want you, God. We want you, Jesus. you in this place God and God Holy Spirit we want you to speak to your church this morning so God we give you time we give you the freedom and the liberty to speak in this place come on if you feel like you have a word for the body this morning If you've been putting things before God right now, you're, you've been going to other loves, other, other, other places, other people. Come on now, he's calling out to you. Come on, he loves us with an everlasting love. 
you got to get your heart right and say, God, my heart belongs to you. Come on, tell him that right now. God, we're not going to run after other things, other people. We come to you, Jesus. Just you,
you love him in this place. How wonderful he is. God, you are awesome in this place. No one like our God. No one like our God. No one like you, Lord. Hallelujah. There's no one like you, Lord God. There's no one like you in the whole world, Lord God. You are awesome. You are powerful. You are wise. You are beautiful like none other. No one compares. No one comes close. We love you and we bless you, God. And my prayer right now for everybody in this room is that you would open our eyes to reality. Many of us are aware of you, Lord God, that you are real, that you are in our midst, that you are powerful, that you hold the world in your hands. But many don't know what's going on. They just see people singing and they hear music. They don't understand. We engage with you, the living God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, who created all of us here, who gave us our voice, who gave us the feet we're standing on, who gave us the hands that we're raising, that we may praise you. Lord, open our eyes to reality. We were not made for ordinary things, just going about the rat race. Going to, going to school, pursuing career, pursuing education, pursuing family. But is that it? Is that what life is about? Or is it about loving you, Lord, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength? Oh, Jesus, open our eyes. Open our eyes. Give us a vision of heaven. Give us a vision of your glory and beauty as we sing holy, holy.
sister Rachel, if you could perhaps sing the chorus uh, of the angels in Isaiah 6 softly as sort of the background. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the earth is full of his glory. Just if you could sing that softly over this congregation. I want us to foster an atmosphere where we can get a vision of God. Where we get a vision of God. And you will leave this place changed. You will leave this place and your whole heart and your whole mind changed forever. You would be so broken at a vision of a holy God. Father, we just pray. Open our eyes. Give us a vision. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Whole earth is filled with His glory. Help us to see the world is full of Your glory. look up to you. Oh, God. Oh, God. Lord, we pray. My prayer for this congregation right now, tattoo eternity on our eyeballs. May we leave with an eternal mindset that there is a timeless, spaceless God who created time and space, that there is life beyond our time here on earth, that there are things that are much weightier than the things we usually care about on a day-to-day basis. Stamp eternity on our eyeballs, Lord. And and, and for us as Christians, Lord, that's going to produce in us, I, I know it will, Lord, just a deeper commitment, deeper sacrifice, deeper love. But for those of us that are not, they they may not want to be Christians still. They may not want to submit to you, Lord. But may they be haunted by your glory. That there is a God in heaven who sees them. We love you and we bless you. We thank you for all you're doing and will continue to do in this day. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Let's give it up for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You you may uh, find your seat right now. Remain uh, prayerful. Remain cognizant that uh, God is here with us. Amen.
we will at this time dismiss uh, the King's kids. If you have any children ages 10 and under, um, they're going to go to their Sunday school class um, with uh, Sister Lily there. So if you got any kiddos, that would be the time. Uh, my name is uh, Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at Metro Praise International. And one of the things we love to do at this church, and we make it a habit, is we like to preach the gospel. And that word gospel, it means good news. Everyone say good news. It's the good news about Jesus Christ that affects all of us. And we take the time out, even though most of you have probably heard about Jesus since you were a kid, right? I mean, you may not have been like super into church, but you heard Jesus died for your sins. Jesus rose on the third day. How many of you have heard that since you were a kid? You heard that more times than you could count. And uh, if you're anything like me, that meant nothing to you. You know, you heard it your whole life. And so it doesn't hurt to preach the gospel to you again, does it? Come on. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. What I've found in my experience and in the experience of many others, as many times as they've heard the name of Jesus and they've heard the Bible stories like Noah's Ark and David and Goliath and all these things, as much as, as they've heard and as much information as we have access to, there are some truths that seem to escape us. Let me show you this passage here, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here are two truths that escape many people. The, num the, the first truth is that you are saved by grace through faith. That is, and what it means to be saved is you're right with God, as opposed to being wrong with God. You're going to heaven as opposed to going to hell. Amen? We'd rather go to heaven than hell. You're a child of God, not a child of the devil. It's, it's your position with God. Are you right with God today? And it says the way that you get right with God, the way you get saved is by grace through faith. And he explains that grace is the gift of God. And God gives you salvation. God gives you the gift of being able to be right with him through faith. Faith in who? Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that he's the son of God. Faith that when he went to the cross, it was not just a criminal's execution, but it was the plan of God to save sinners like you and me. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he raised on the third day. I like to think of it like this. Jesus died our death so we could live his life. And we access the gift of God, salvation, through faith. So you're saying, I just got to believe in Jesus? I'm saying you got to trust in Jesus. 
I'm saying you got to hold on to Jesus for dear life. I gotta, I'm saying you got to fix your eyes on Jesus and never look back. That's what faith is, not just saying, yes, I believe. Because how many of you know you've said before, I believe, and it didn't mean anything? You check off uh, on a census, I'm a Christian. You are saved by grace through faith, not by calling yourself a Christian. You're saved by grace through faith, not through church membership. Or, or, or any other ritual or thing you want to do to try to qualify yourself. Grace through faith. Trust Jesus. Hold on to Jesus for dear life. Look to Jesus. And commit yourself to Him. That's faith. And the gift of God comes to you. Salvation. That's the first truth people don't get. Because, you know, normally it's uh, just a list of do's and don'ts on how to live for God. And how many agree? We should stop sinning, right? And we should live for God. But if I just tell you, stop sinning and live for God, you're going to fail a hundred times out of a hundred because you're a sinner. But when you're saved, something happens in your life. Salvation is not just the forgiveness of sins. It's not just that, you know, you can come to God. It's that your life is changed. For we are God's handiwork. We're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So those whose faith in Jesus is true, those who trust in Him, it is evident in a changed life. It is evident in good works. It is evident when they stop their life of sin and pursue a life with Jesus. Could you all stand with me? We're going to have a couple of our prayer workers. We have Joselito and Griselda here. How do you respond to this message? If you are not saved, you can be saved. They're not going to save you. They're just going to point you to the Savior. If you're unfamiliar with how to pray, with how to talk to God, with how to repent of sins, with how to put faith in Jesus, they will guide you through that process in a few moments we'll, we'll have that opportunity so I just want to pray for us all Father in Jesus name let it hit home if this is the first time we ever heard and understood that we're saved by grace through faith let us jump at it let nothing keep us back I pray that the understanding of salvation by grace, the gift of God through faith in Jesus, would be so liberating to us that we don't just have to try to make ourselves good or religious people. But God, you will freely give us a new heart and a new life and forgive our debt of sin. I pray, Father, that, that any non-Christian, anybody who doesn't know you in this room, they'll know you today. And they'll respond to this liberating truth. And for every Christian in here, that they'll give this liberating truth to a lost and dying world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Before we move forward, I want to share our confession of faith. We're going to say this together as a church. This is our Christian worldview. This is the things we stand on in this world today. So let's all say it together at the count of three, everybody. One, two, three. I believe in one God and Creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation and His death, burial, and resurrection.
and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the united church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind that is by faith alone and Christ alone by God's grace alone and for the glory of God alone. Amen. We're going to have a time just to fellowship, to greet each other, make your way around the room, receive prayer if you need it. Give a high five to your neighbor. Don't you guys love the fellowship every Sunday morning? Lots of love. Lots and lots of love. 
Welcome to Metro Praise International this morning. We are honored that you came to visit us, to worship with us. We are so excited about what God has for you today. So again, thank you on behalf of the leadership for joining us this morning. Our two main services at Metro Praise International are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and Elevate every Fridays at 10 p.m. And if you don't know what Elevate is, it's our youth group. It's all of our teenagers, 11 to 18. They come every week and they're just blowing up their high schools for Jesus, being excited about God. So again, welcome. Plug into those services. Our vision here is loving God and loving people. We desire to do that with all of our heart. And we have a discipleship strategy. Say discipleship strategy. It's threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. And the way we want to connect you to the church, connect you to Jesus, is through our life groups. Say life groups. And if you are new, I really want to take my time this morning because we do have a lot of visitors. And we want to welcome you. And if you did not receive a brochure at the door, our ushers will give one to you right now. Please fill it out. Drop it in the drop box. And we would love to connect with you. Thank you for joining us. And so if you are new, I do want to take my time with this. It's all of our life groups listed. It's for this quarter. And we have ministry-based. We have special needs-based. There's so much for you to, to choose to get involved in. We have Bible studies, evangelism, single moms, life group, uh, life group for marriages. And so find a place to belong. And here is our snapshot of our life group schedule just for this week. So you may be saying, well, you know, it's kind of intimidating. I don't know where to go. But just this week, this is what we have going on. So today, Sunday, we have our worship team practice. That's for our 201ers and deacons and elders, 1230. Also today going in as our marriage life group at 5 p.m. Married couples make some noise with Ricky and Rachel. Uh, Tuesday, we have our righteously redeemed elevate life group. So if you're a teenager, join them. Wednesday, we have our King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, every Wednesday, 6.30 to 8. Drop off your children. It's a place for them to learn about God, be discipled. You can stay with them, or you can drop them off, go run some errands, and then pick them back up. Friday, we have two Bible studies for adults, one at the Goveas and one at the Walkers. And they're both meeting at 7 p.m. with child care included. If you want to dig deep into the Word of God and be around some good fellowship you want to check out one of those life groups. Those are for you, okay? And then Friday, uh, that, both of those are Friday. Saturday, we have our evangelism. So if you've never gone out to the streets to share your faith, I want to encourage and challenge some of you. You will get stretched so much in your walk with God by joining the evangelism team on Saturday and saying, I'm going to go out and I'm going to win some souls for Jesus. Because the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. And then we want to send you out to continue to preach the gospel, win your co-workers and family to the Lord. And our goal here at MPI is 100,000 disciples with 50 churches in the city and 500 around the world. If you believe God can do that, say amen. amen. Praise the Lord, because it, it is not by our strength. It is by the Lord's strength. And when we started about 10 years ago, it was just my husband and I with a little Bible study in our house. And here we are, and God has been faithful to multiply leaders and through, through discipleship and accountability, and God is good. And so we want to win Chicago for Jesus. We want this city to know God. How many of you guys believe America and our city, starting in Chicago, we need Jesus? It takes you. It takes me. It takes us going out there and never giving up because it's not a click. It's not just for us four and no more. It's for everybody out there that has a need for God, and we are here to give that to them. At this time, we're going to learn about tithes and offerings. 
How many of you guys have been enjoying the lessons on stewardship the past few um, handful of weeks? We are on our last lesson today, so if you want to turn with me in your phones to givingbook.org, and then also in your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Proverbs 13.22. So if you want to go to your safari, givingbook.org, it's the Disciples Giving Book, and we are on Section 3, Stewardship Lesson 14. It's our last lesson on this section. So we have been extremely blessed learning about stewardship and managing all that God has given to us. So let's go ahead and start uh, reading the passage of Scripture, Proverbs 13, 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. The definition of stewardship that we've been reading every week is stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. So God wants us to be wise and to manage everything that's in our care. So let's look at the three main, main points we get from that passage of Scripture. Number one, a good person. The Bible, especially the book of Proverbs, commands people to do good by forsaking evil. So we have to turn our back to evil. Therefore, it is a good thing for Christians to leave an inheritance for their children and grandchildren. If you believe that's a good thing to do, say it's a good thing. Number two, leaves an inheritance. An inheritance is basically the act of passing on material goods, wealth, and property to someone else after you die. The Bible states that our inheritance should primarily be given to our children and grandchildren. When we put God first and our house is in order and our finances in order, we'll, we will be able to save up and be able to pass on and provide something for our children. And God says that that is a good thing. And we have to be wise stewards right now of all that he's giving us so that we can leave something for our children and grandchildren so they could be blessed. And ultimately, more than material possession, it is the faith that we get to pass on as well. So we get a double blessing. When we're saved, when we're right with God, we can leave them a, a material inheritance, but even more so, them having a faith in God is just as important. Number three, sinner's wealth. Though sinners, non-Christians, may give an inheritance to their family, now, ultimately, everything they have will remain on earth after they die. You can't, ta you can't take that with you. So material possessions can continue to get left over, but what are we going to give to our children as an eternal inheritance? So as a result, when Jesus comes back to reign upon the earth for a thousand years, all their wealth will belong to the righteous. That's some end times talking right there. If you have questions about that, you could talk to Pastor Jared. I'll give you a lesson on eschatological teachings. Did I say that word right? There you go. That's your man. So if you have, if you have questions about the thousand-year reign, go to him. Summary, because we don't have time to do it right now. Summary, work hard and plan ahead so you can give your family an inheritance. How many of you guys want to do that? That is our heart. That is our desire. All of us want to leave something for our children. It takes time, dedication, giving to the Lord, putting him first now. Application, number one, be faithful in giving your tithes and offerings, which is 10% of your total income, and anything in the offerings is anything uh, you give after your tithes. Number two, start planning your inheritance by living below your expenses so you can save and invest the excess. Three, make a will, purchase life insurance, and set goals for your sa savings. If you think that's awesome, stand up to your feet this morning, and we are going to confess our confession over our life, finances, and families on the count of three. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. 
We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. We're going to prepare to receive our offerings at this time. Like we said, a tithe is a 10% of your total income. An offering is anything you give above that. Also, I want to encourage those who made a pledge for our Philippines missions trip that will be happening next year, 2015, sometime in the summer. Let's be faithful with those missions pledge because our offerings go to either the missions or the building fund. And right now, we're continuing to raise our monies for this Philippines missions trip to see all that God has there. And we're only doing it to the end of the year. So keep being faithful. Thank you so much for your generosity and faithfulness to the Lord so that we can see his hand move in our city. Amen. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for your goodness, your faithfulness. I thank you, God, for your people and the blessing and the, and the jobs and the increase that you're giving to us. I pray that you would continue to do so for those that are faithfully tithing and giving and those that are not. I pray that you would gently teach them and uh, encourage them, God, to put you first so that our house can be in order and everything will flow out of that, out of a pure heart of generosity. Bless this tithe, God, the giver, the gift. I pray that we would use it for your glory to win Chicago and the nations for you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Please come forward as you give this morning. Let's give it up for Hot Topics if you're ready. Come on. Welcome, everybody, to the house of God. Good to see you guys here today. We're going to have an awesome time. I want to tell you that we're going to be starting a new sermon series next week called the uh, Your Identity in Christ. You all ready for this? Your Identity in Christ. Make some noise. Get excited. Your identity in Christ, the thumbprint of God on you. And guess what? We're going to rock out this baby all the way to the end of the year. So from October 26th to the end of the year, every single week, dropping it like it's hot, we're going to be talking about your identity in Christ. i got so many ideas, so many things I want to get across in this series. Uh, I just want to passionately preach it with Pentecostal power to God's people. Amen? I just want to do that, so bring your friends, invite them to come, and let's believe God that we're all going to live up to who he called us to be. And just get ready with me right now. Everybody say this with me. I am who he said I am, and I can do what he said I can do. 
That's what it's all about. But today, we are going to end this sermon series on hot topics. It's been awesome. We've been rocking it out week after week. These are the subjects we've gone through. Abortion, Jewish laws, alcohol, pornography, immigration, drugs and addictions, tattoo piercings, music, TV, and movies, homosexuality, Israel, and ending it today with eternal punishment. Everybody go, it's hot. Okay, open up your Bibles with me now to where we started the series, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. We are going to end right where we started, and I'm going to tie in the whole series together and end with this hot topic on hell and eternal punishment. I want to let you know that all of the messages, everybody say A-L-L-L. Come on, all these messages are online. You can go and check them out. The notes are online. The videos are online. Blow up Facebook, Twitter, whatever you do with these messages. And, it, and you know what? People are going to ask these questions years from now. It will still be there. You know, what did your church think about homosexuality? Oh, great. My pastor, he preached a whole sermon series on, a uh, whole sermon on that. Bam, here's homosexuality, uh, what, he, what we teach. And then here's the notes so they can look at it. Like click on the links and go, okay, this is where he got his uh, studying from. Also want to remind you today as I get ready to talk about the eternal punishment, hell and the lake of fire, I have on our Facebook page, MPI, uh, Metro Praise International Church, MPI, there on Facebook, a post called Questions, and you guys can go there today and you can ask any question, and Lord willing, by the end of the service, if I haven't answered it, I will read your questions and I will answer them. Are you with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1? If you're there, say I'm there. Thank you. Let's look at it. Here it is. Paul is speaking to the people of um, Ephesus through his spiritual son, Timothy, who is the pastor of this city called Ephesus. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Let's say that together. Preach the word. One more time. Preach the word. Thank you. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Say they will not put up with it. Thank you. Help me preach this morning. They will not put up with it. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away from the truth, turn their ears away from the truth, and turn aside to miss. Somebody say make-believe. Come on. But you keep your head in all situations, enduring hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, this is where we started. This was Paul's words to Timothy, that we need to preach the word. Do you think only me with the microphone needs to preach the word, or do you think you need to preach the word? Do you have to preach the word on your job, or is it just when you're at church? You need to preach the word to your friends on the job. You need to do it on uh, family occasions in your home. How many believe you need to preach the word wherever you go? Now, I say how you preach, your, uh, preach on your job is how they talk about sports. I say use that same discretion. So if you can't talk about sports uh, with a customer and get, you know, distracted, then don't talk about God that way. But if you could talk uh, about sports with a customer, talk about God with the customer. Hey, I think that's fair, right? If your coworkers can get into the lunchroom and talk about sports, then you can get into the lunchroom and talk about God. I believe in America there should be freedom of speech, and the talk about God should be on our lips. It should not be strange. 
It should not be uh, something that we should get in trouble for. We should be able to talk about God. We should be able to have conversations about God. So I would just say, use discretions. Don't take my uh, understanding of your job over, over what you know is the proper time. I'm just trying to help you to understand. So wherever you are, preach the word. So no excuses. We're preaching the word. Amen? But we have a problem, Paul said, that in the last times people won't want to preach the word. That people in the last times will turn aside from the truth and will turn aside to miss. Now, in our day, do we have a lot of myths that we believe in in the sense of ancient myths? Are there people today believing in Zeus? No, I don't really see a lot of people worshiping Zeus. You all know anybody like that? Uh, do you see anybody worshiping Hercules or, or these kind of things? No. So those myths may not be the same from the Greek culture and the Roman culture that Paul is talking to, the Greco-Roman culture of his day. But we have myths in our day. Can I tell you a myth that people believe in? A Jesus that will not send people to hell. See, that is a mythological Jesus. That is not a real Jesus. That is a mythological Jesus, a Jesus that exists but doesn't punish sin and put people into eternal damnation does not exist. But yet there's people who believe in that Jesus. They say, I believe in a Jesus that won't judge me. I believe in a Jesus that won't send anybody to hell. And we're going to talk about that today because, trust me, I am not afraid of the controversy around hell. As unpopular as it may be, I still believe in the doctrine of hell and lake of fire and eternal punishment. And when you come to this church, we teach you a confession of a Christian worldview. And that part of that confession is, I believe in the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. Now, I don't talk about eternal punishment like it's a game, though. I don't want to threaten you or an unbeliever with eternal punishment. First of all, that's not what Jesus did. That's not how I became a Christian. And that's not why most of you ever became a Christian, because somebody threatened you with hell. You're not here because of fire insurance. Most of you were drawn to Jesus and salvation because of his love because of the cross and what that meant that someone would take your place and die for you, right? Really, we're here for John 3.16, that God so loved us, the whole world, that he sent his only son. And sending the son there implies the death on the cross. So God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us, that whosoever believes in him shall not what? perish but have everlasting life so many of you you're like me you're here because a god of love came to rescue you and we don't spend a lot of time on that word perish in the john three sixteen scripture we don't spend a lot of time there because we don't really want to think about it it's morbid to think about hell and that's why when i was preparing this message i just get so emotional i'm emotional now because we probably know people that are there right now. And, and you can't think about it without getting emotional. For example, my sister died drinking and driving. And the Bible says no drunkard, no one addicted to alcohol will inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't know what happened to my sister. What if my sister never repented for her lifestyle of alcoholism? Where has she been the last eight years or so? Where has my sister been? 
We believe in life after death, don't we? I don't believe she's been playing peekaboo like Casper the Ghost hiding in people's closets where we make these movies about these silly things. I believe in demons, but I don't believe lost souls wander the earth trying to send messages to us. She is, according to this Bible, either in heaven or she's in hell. And according to her lifestyle, in the way I knew my sister, she is in hell. You don't think that bothers me? Do you think that I take that lightly? That makes me emotional. Not only that, that you and I probably know people who are there right now, and it's not our job to go pitting you know, people's names in the bucket and say, well, I think they're there throwing it in the, in the bucket of hell. I don't know, but I'm just telling you by their lifestyle, we know people that are probably there right now. Right now. And then we know people who are alive that we care about who if they were to die, they would go there as well. Now, some people right here, like I said, they may want to say this is morbid. They may want to say this does not go hand in hand with the God of love. And I have a lot of notes to give you. And I actually made a video a long time ago on YouTube, and it's still up when I was a lot more skinnier. Okay? But it's there. You know, <laughs> you got to suck it all in and get some facelift here. But, it, you know, that video is there. But let me just tell you at the beginning, that will not change your mind. This is the bottom line. You will rest your faith on hell dependent upon this. Do you believe in the Jesus of the Bible? Because if you believe in the Jesus of the Bible, you will believe in hell. Now, I know there's liberal Christians. I know there's other religions who believe in a Jesus, but not a Jesus of hell. You know, um, uh, 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 Hindus want to take him and make him out to be another incarnation of Krishna. And there's this reincarnation thing. And there's a book like comparing Jesus' teachings to the Buddha. I understand there's a new age Jesus. I understand there's a false religion Jesus under universalism. But I'm telling you, if you look at the God of the Bible as real as that, historical person is, is as real as hell is. So you don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. I don't have time to convince you of that today. But if you do, and I'm assuming most of you do, if you believe in the Jesus of the Bible, there is no way around not believing in hell. Now let me just explain to you this whole sermon series in a nutshell before I start teaching about eternal punishment. We talked about abortion. We talked about homosexuality. We've talked about Israel. And I want to thank you as a congregation for showing up, setting records as a church this uh, this summer when most people are down in numbers. We set an attendance record of 177 on a normal Sunday. Y'all showed up and we heard about one of these topics. Can we give it up for Jesus? Amen. That's almost 200 people. 118 of you, youth and adults, have joined our 101 or 201 program. We have never had that high of a number in the history of our church. Can we give the Lord a hand clap for that? Amen. Disciples making disciples. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for following Paul's uh, command here in 2 Timothy to hear preaching and not miss. Thank you for that. And the pastors thank you for that. I want to thank you and our pastors here. We thank you. Number two, I just want to know, did anybody else have a confirmation this season of the Hot Topic sermon series from something in the culture? Did you see something on the news and TV around the world that made you just go, oh my goodness, we're talking about that in church. 
There was two just this week, three if you look for it. The big Hillsong Church movement that makes a lot of the songs that we sing is coming to New York for a conference. uh, uh, New York Times is asking Brian Houston what is his stance on homosexuality. He takes the ninny cowardly position, says we don't really talk about that. We don't really judge people like that. And the entire media swarms on him because they know he used to be the president of the Australian Assemblies of God. And we know the Assemblies of God, which I used to be a part of, strongly stands against the sin of homosexuality. Loves the people, right, but stands against the sin. And so the media sees his hypocrisy and blew him up this weekend until the point where he had to make a statement and kind of just shove it under the, under the door. Just, well... Since you asked, and everybody knows anyway, and I already got caught. Well, let me just give you a, he just wrote a little statement. Yeah, I stand with Paul in the traditional sense of homosexuality being a sin. Well, thank you, Brian Houston. Thank you. Thank you so much for using your platform, but thank you. You did us all a favor. No, he didn't. He made us look worse, like we're afraid of the Bible. Listen to me, my friends. I know there's such things as hate speech. I know there's such things as uh, the racism and prejudice and all of that. But if true Christians, pastors and leaders and disciples full of love preach the word of God, only but good can come in the kingdom of God sense. Only but good that last will come of this. Though I may suffer, I may lose numbers, I may not have as many as the guy down the road does, but if I do this, all things will work together for good. It's never wrong preaching this is what I'm trying to say. And if it ever becomes quote-unquote wrong, I don't want to be right. Well, I was just one. Oh, well, then there was another one in Houston. The lesbian mayor said, I want to now get some subpoenas from the court to ask pastors in this city to give me their sermons to see if they're crossing the line into the political realm trying to legislate their morality against homosexuality through their preaching. So just like in every state, there has been legislation to change how we look at gay marriage She wanted to know, are preachers preaching against this in the name of their religion and thus trying to affect political outcomes? And if they are, we need to take away their tax exemption because they're no longer keeping church and state separated. I don't have time to tell you how much of a distortion that is, but the thing that we can focus on is that there are good pastors who are being persecuted by their mayor because they've done something similar to what I did, hot topics. So what if I would have been subpoenaed? Hey, I've always told you I don't have anything to say to the mayor except repent and get born again. I'm not here to invite him to my pulpit and ask him to talk about how we can all help the community together. I'm not to ask him for freebies, handouts. Hey, man, my name's Jimmy. I'll take all you can give me. I want to talk to the alderman for free garbage pickup and all these things other pastors have tried to tell me to do. I only got one message for the alderman, the mayor, the governor, all of them. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's it, baby. And I want to tell you that this was tested. This was tested when we were starting our second campus at Wicker Park. And I had to meet with the alderman of Wicker Park. And I forget his name. Joe Joe Marino? 
Thank you, sir. Whoever said it, Marino, I met with him, younger guy, short guy, and we were about the same age, and we were talking about me getting permission by the permit status to have a church there. So I did have to be respectable because I'm not going to be rude. I love the guy. I'm going to treat him as I would anybody else. And the Bible says obey the laws of the land. But guess what? Ain't it just something within 30 seconds he goes, sure, you know, go ahead. You got the permission to go there. You can put a church there. Within 30 seconds he goes, but how do you stand as a church on these issues? Because I know other churches have taken different stands. And he started bringing up homosexuality. The landlord who owned the building that I was going to use was himself a homosexual. So what do you think I had to do now? You think I'm just going to back down? Well, 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 Joe Marino, we, we, we don't talk about st- stuff like that. I'll, Joe, I'll send you a statement later by email. No, I said, I believe what the Bible says. I believe it's a sin. I believe God called us to live according to marriage principles, man and women. And I believe I'm a sinner that's had sin in my life that God has saved me from, and God will save him from it. And then we began, I'm telling you, 30 seconds on the permit issue and the next 30 minutes was on Christianity, was on religion. And just a few months later, what did he do with Chick-fil-A? Tell them they couldn't come to his district. And I said, God, it was no accident you sent me there. Now, I'm not a person trying to find a coincidence in everything that I do, you know, from the color of my shoes. Well, I put on red shoes today, and you got a red shirt. That must mean we're supposed to marry each other or something weird like that. Praise God, I don't think like that. I'm not some just, you know, weird, kooky, you know, uh, superstitious person, but I just thought that was something. Of all the, you know, the aldermen I had to meet with, and yet we get into a 30-minute discussion about this, it's the same alderman that had an agenda against Chick-fil-A. And how did we end our discussion? I said, I'll read a book that tells, tells me about the Jesus you believe in. You read a book about the Jesus that I believe in. So he recommended me a book that's called Jesus Before Christianity. And it talks about a Jesus that looks totally different than the Jesus of Christianity. Written by some scholar who knows nothing about Jesus. But I am in Bible college. I understand how to, to get into this information. This doesn't intimidate me. I've read all that stuff before. Matter of fact, not only have I read it, but I'll debate the guy who wrote the book right here in my church on Sunday. I'm not afraid of what he has to say. Go ahead, lay it all down. That's fine. And then I gave him the book, Is God a Moral Monster? by Paul Copeland, because I wanted him to understand. You will be judged. Like in the Bible, judgment, it means something. You will be judged, and God is not a moral monster to do it. He is righteous and holy to do it. So I pray that the fear of God came into that man, that he will understand. Noah's flood, real judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah, real judgment. And you will face real judgment one day. And Paul Copeland is a great scholar as well. And he uses the Bible and philosophy to help you understand. Without judgment, there's no justice. So morality calls for justice and a Part of justice, there is judgment. Are you ready for today's message? I got some quotes about hell, but before we get in there, I want you to read some scriptures on this, but I just wanted to say those things. So thank you uh, for helping me and the church to preach it and now see there's some confirmations in our culture. It's not an accident. We did it when we did it. A lot of people need to hear these things. Amen? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, as you're looking at your neighbor saying, that was just the introduction. Amen. That was just the introduction. Here we go. Today's hot topic. Today's hot topic is on eternal punishment. Like I said, and I hope people hear me, because I've, I've gotten blowed up on Facebook and YouTube so many different times. Uh, a, a homosexual, he, you know, he told me he was a homosexual man, uh, blew up our, a message on homosexuality. And to also uh, preach against me, he called me a glutton. 
He said, look at you preaching against homosexuality and you're a glutton. And I was like, first of all, I don't really think I'm fat. I kind of think I'm chubby. Maybe a little bit more athletic, you know. And then if you literally go to YouTube, you'll see my comments. I'm like, I don't have high cholesterol. I have good blood pressure, the doctor. T- I can run a mile in about eight, nine minutes. I can do push-ups, you know. It's just like this real insecurity came up in me because I was called a glutton, you know what I'm saying? But that's the way people are. Don't you judge me while I'm judging you and calling you a glutton, you know. That, that was his whole point. Don't judge homosexuals as I judge and call you a glutton. It's like, first of all, no, we're all making judgments, no way around that, but let's see what judgment stands on God's word. And then what judgment stands on truth, good philosophy, applicability, those types of things. And I believe, once again, homosexuality stands under the truth of God as sin, and yet God can save sinners. Amen? But I thought that was cute. You can go check that out. Maybe you can write back. And, no, my pastor ain't fat. My pastor, he's this big boned. You know? <laughs> then I would even make it weird, you know what I'm saying? Look at verse 41. This is a parable that Jesus tells about the end times. He says in this parable that he will separate the world and sheep and goats. Goats he's going to condemn and sheep he's going to bless. Here is the end of it. I don't have time to read all the verses. I'm just giving you the conclusion because that is what we're talking about, the conclusion of humanity. Here it is. Then he will say to those on his left, these are the goats, depart from me, you you who are cursed, into what? The eternal fire, thank you, prepared for the devil and his angels. Then verse 46, he says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, those are the goats, and eternal punishment is defined by Jesus in verse 41 as the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So they'll go there to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. So as real as Jesus is, is as real as heaven is, and as real as hell is. You can't divorce Jesus from heaven or hell. All of his messages are based on this concept. And as people have studied and found out, Jesus talked more in bulk about hell than he did about heaven. And wouldn't you expect him to do so? Because he doesn't want you to go there. That's why when he preaches, his warnings will include things about hell. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, which people all over the world, like Gandhi and others, have always said, that's the most beautiful teachings of Jesus because in the Sermon on the Mount it says things like uh, love your neighbor love or rather don't just love your neighbor love your enemy do unto others as you want done unto you which we have now called in society the golden rule also in that uh, that section of Sermon on the Mount it talks about blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God you know blessed are those who are poor in spirit humble for theirs is the kingdom of heaven are you with me people love But right there in the same Sermon on the Mount, he says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, gouge it out. Because it would be better to go to heaven missing an eye or an arm than to go to hell with your eyes and your arms. You see, isn't that something that in this great uh, moral message that Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount, which everybody says these are the great teachings of Jesus, he even uses hell as a motivation, not the central motivation. Our central motivation is Jesus and his kingdom and the glory of God, but he uses it as a secondary motivation to say, if you don't do it this way right, this will happen to you, so don't do it wrong. 
Is everybody with me? Jesus told great parables that described hell. He talked about a parable where one man was burning in hell to the point where he screamed out that someone would just dip their finger in water and put it on their lips. That was a Jesus parable. He described hell to be that intense. Jesus, as we'll get into the description of it later, described hell in great detail, even more than heaven. What do you know about heaven? Not the book of Revelation, which we know is a further revelation given by the Holy Spirit to John, but just by Jesus' teachings, what would you really know about heaven? You would just really know something simple. God is there. He'll be there. Jesus as the Son. And then what? There's many mansions there. That's pretty much all you know about heaven, right? Uh, You know you're not going to get married there. You know there's not going to be a polygamous version of heaven like the Mormons teach, so you know that. Uh, But really, what else do you know? And I'm not talking about Revelation and the streets of gold and the New Jerusalem coming down and the angels. I'm just talking about what Jesus said. You, You just know there's one thing. There's a place for you up there. You will not be homeless going to goodwill. If you make it in, there's a mansion. Just don't worry about it. That's basically his mentality by all that he says. But what does he say about hell? He says there's worms that die not there. It's an eternal fire. There's gnashing of teeth. There is a punishment and a torment that is conscious because you will think and feel while you're there. But about heaven, he just says there's a mansion. Don't worry about it. But once again, wouldn't there be good reason to go into depth about hell and not so much of heaven? Because heaven, we know, is going to be awesome. God is there, period. That's all I need to know. But some people who may not be convinced of the severity of hell, those who may be convinced of something like reincarnation, that predates Jesus' teachings. Buddha and the Hindu religion had already existed for many years before Jesus had came. Okay, so Jesus is being clear. There isn't a second chance. There isn't post-mortem repentance. You're not going to die, then repent. You're not going to be reborn again and again. This is it, and this is the punishment. Now look at some quotes here. Uh, Notes online. Ask questions if I don't get to them. Also on Facebook because I want to make sure I cover everything today. But look at some of these quotes on hell. Mark Twain, famous author, he said, Go to heaven for the climate, hell for the company. Go to heaven for the climate. It's going to be nicer there. But go to hell for the company. You know, you guys may not remember this, but ACDC would sing a song, Highway to Hell. You know, this is kind of that way of thinking. You know what? It's better to be in hell because there's going to be more cool people down there. The best artists will be there. The best musicians will be there. The funniest comedians will be there. Heaven will be boring. That's the idea, is it not? A lot. uh, I should say a lot for for people, a lot of people. Here's C.S. Lewis. He was a Christian and a philosopher. Spent a lot of time writing myth, things like the the Chronicles of Narnia mythology. He was friends with J.R. Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, which is the new one that's coming out here pretty soon in December. And they said, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis said, I know myth, and the Bible is not myth. So if you think the Bible is myth, you would have to talk to someone like C.S. Lewis who studied literature at Oxford and taught it and wrote it to understand the Bible is not written as myth. It's written as historical narrative. But look at what C.S. Lewis says about hell. The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. You don't know you're headed there if you're going there. Most people don't. Do you honestly think most people think they're going there who are going there, you know, according to the Bible? You know, people who are not born again don't know Jesus? No. I talk to people like this all the time. Have you been born again? No. And I show them on John 3, you know, the 
the scripture, John 3, 3. No one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. So I asked them, are you born again? No, I haven't been born again. I was baptized at a church or, or you, know, uh, you know, I don't believe in none of that. They'll say something like that. Okay, so you haven't been born again. And then I asked them, if the only way you can see the kingdom of heaven is to be born again and you have not been born again, where do you think you go when you die? And they never openly admit hell. They'll go like, well, do you think I go to hell? They'll say something like that. Then they'll say, it's like, you, you want me to say hell? I don't believe I'm going there. And then we will argue for the next 20 minutes on whether or not they're even going to hell. And so how do I help show them they're going to hell? Is this because I'm a morbid person? No, I'm just trying to defend the, the words of Jesus. Jesus said you're not going to heaven unless you're born again. So now I've got to show them why they're actually going to hell. And, and turn with me quickly, John 3, 16. I'll show you really quickly how I help people realize this. Because you can't change destinations until you know you're heading in the wrong direction. If you think you're going to Lake Michigan, are you going to turn around and go another direction? If your destination's Lake Michigan and you're heading in a direction and you think you're going there, are you going to turn around out of the middle of nowhere? No, you think you're going to Lake Michigan. What is the only reason that would make you change directions if you're headed towards Lake Michigan? Is if you're going west and then someone tells you west is away from Lake Michigan and then you're convinced my direction is wrong. That's the only thing that will make you want to turn around. What is repentance? Turning around. What is the only thing that will have sinners turn around? They have to know they're going in the wrong direction. Are you with me? John 3.16, please put it on the screen. How many know this scripture? We're going to end with it today in prayer for our friends and prayer for anyone here today that wants to secure their place in heaven. John 3.16, read it with me all together. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now let me keep reading because you'll hear how to help people know their direction. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Look at right here. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. This is the judgment. Don't you understand verdict is in judgment. Where do you hear that word in our culture? Verdict. In a courtroom. This is the courtroom of heaven. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So how do I show someone going in the wrong direction? I just show them their deeds are evil. Have you told a lie? Don't lie. Tell me if you've really told a lie, right? Yeah, I've lied before. What does that mean? What do we call somebody who tells lies? A liar. Have you ever taken something, no matter how small it is, that doesn't belong to you, borrow something, never gave it back? Yes. What is that, what is that called? Stealing? What do we call people who steal? Thieves. Have you ever taken the name of the Lord in vain, used his name as a cuss word, said it out of anger? Yes. What do we, what do we say that we call that? Blasphemy. What did Jesus say? Don't take the name of the, uh, what does the Bible say? Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Yes. What do we call people who disobey their parents? Rebellious. Go through the Ten Commandments. Obey your father and mother. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. You ever coveted? You ever been jealous after what, what somebody else had? They got a promotion that you didn't. They got more back on their tax return than you. Someone else got to date that boy or girl. Someone else got the better deal, the better house. Have you ever coveted? Yeah, what do we call that person? Jealous? 
The Bible says don't covet, don't lie, don't steal, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, obey your father and mother. The Bible says don't commit adultery. What does Jesus consider adultery as? He says if you lust in your heart after someone you're not married to. So you ask the person, have you ever lusted in your heart? Have you ever wanted to have sex with someone you're not married to, male and male, female and female, or opposite sex? It doesn't matter. Yes, what do we call that person? A perverse person, an adulter, adulterer. So out of your own mouth, you've already broken six out of the Ten Commandments. Right? I've showed them. And now what does the Bible says? By them doing those things, it proves that they are already in darkness and they are already condemned. What will judgment day be for them? A reaffirmation for what they have already believed or not believed. Already what they have done or not done. Judgment day just says, here's the verdict. You get what you wanted. Keep going to the quotes. As it's quiet here, I don't mind. But I want you to think about it and some of your friends who may be headed this way and family members. We need to take this serious. Look at this philosopher of the 1600s. This is the motto, motto of the atheist uh, generation that we're dealing with today. The Richard Dawkins, the Samuel Harris's and those like him, the Bill Mars of our day. This is their motto, but it was said in the 1600s. Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Come on, do you have, have you not heard that type of pride come from people's lips? I'm going to serve God. I'm not going to serve him. Why am I going to do stuff like that? Why would I do that for him? You know, all you have to do is see whose people's gods are. Real quick, watch what people do in church, and then watch what they do at an Alabama game, an Illinois game, a Bears game. Who's their god? You'll find out real quick. They'll shout and holler for the Bears, but they'll sit in their Catholic church like they're in a library. And then when you want to talk to them about their lifestyle serving God, then they'll make excuses. And then when you start to tell them, sir, ma'am, you just have religion. You don't have a relationship. And I don't just mean to pick on Roman Catholics. This could be in any church, including here. And then you tell them a real relationship means you obey Jesus. And then what do many people say back? I don't want to do that. How dare he expect me to do that? How dare God expect me to clap my hands and praise him? Our name is called Metro Praise. You know why? Because the new Jerusalem that comes to heaven is called a city of praise. You will praise God the rest of your life if you're a Christian. We praise God in the city, Metro Praise, international for the nations. Are you with me? People don't want to praise God. They want to praise a team. They're idolaters. People want to serve their job. Their boss can say like this. Their boss can go, hey. We, we, we got a new client coming on, and they expect us to work round the clock for them. I need you here on Sundays from 7 till we get it all done. And they will, well, they will get pulled right by the back of their shirt, and they'll be downtown 7 in the morning checking on their computer, taking care of that international client. But if you ask that same person, come to discipleship an hour early, come to prayer an hour early, they'll tell you, oh, no, 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 i got so many things to do this Sunday. I've got to go and do this, and I've got to go and do that. But their boss will get them to serve. And why are they serving that boss and that client overseas? Why, why, why are they doing that? Is it because they really love that client? Is it because they really love their boss and they're so dedicated? It's because they love money. Is it any wonder that Jesus, when he drew the parallel of the two biggest competing masters in your life, he didn't say you can either serve God or the devil? No, because we would all obviously say, of course I don't choose the devil over God. 
You can serve God or you can serve sex. Is that what Jesus said? Well, obviously, we would all say sex has to end at some time. Can't serve sex my whole life. But look at what Jesus did when he drew the parallel of men's hearts in the greatest competition for the heart of man. He said, you can't serve God and money. You will love one and hate the other, or you'll love this one and hate this one. So I cannot put money above God. I'll use money like a tool, like a hammer. I will not let a hammer become my God. I will not let a washing machine become my God. I will use money as a tool. But there's people who have been deceived. They're thinking that they're going to reign in hell. Obviously, they don't believe in hell. But they think they're going to reign in hell because they're so much smarter than you and I who just have to have the crutch of religion. We have to have it because we're just so insecure and we're afraid of dying and we were brainwashed by our parents to believe in God. But this guy, he's so much smarter than us. So if there even is a heaven and a hell, he would rather go to hell with his pride in his back bow, chest out, chin up. If this was the God you were anyway, I wouldn't serve you. I'd rather go to hell this way. Frank Sinatra sang a song very similar to that, I Did It My Way. That's the generation you're listening to on the radio, young people. That's what they're saying to you. They may not be as silly as ACDC, 80s rock, high way to hell. They may not be doing that. But that's what little Wayne's doing, young people. He's saying, I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. That's what, that's what Beyonce's doing. Yeah, that's what Beyonce does. That's what pop stars are doing. That's what Katy Perry's doing. I want to expose this for you, young people. That's what they're all telling you. I would rather do it my way and suffer punishment because I'm not going to serve a tyrannical God who wants to make me an unhappy slave. Let's keep reading through some of these quotes. St. Bernard said a long time ago, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Do you think people who are in hell right now thought they would be there? I mean, if you could hear the excuses of hell right now, I mean, what do you think you would hear? What do, you, what do you think you would hear? What do you think you would hear if my sister could talk to you right now? What do you think she would say? My sister would say, but you, but you don't understand. I was going to change. I was going to go to church. I was going to do something different. You don't understand. I really wasn't a bad person. I really wasn't an alcoholic. I really wasn't that bad. Look at all the good things that I did. I helped people. I did other things for my children. How could I be here right now? I didn't think I was going to die. I had another day. I had another chance. Let me just tell you what blows my mind in the 21st century. How we still, and I say we, me included, how we still walk around acting as if we got tomorrow promised to us. It blows my mind. It, it, we, we live in a time where life has never been as it is now, just a breath away. Because of technology, terrorism, war, Ebola, I mean, we know these things exist. The other ancient people, they didn't know this. They didn't have that kind of an understanding, but yet they fear death more than we do. We have no fear of death. We don't even think it's going to happen. You literally believe you're going to be where you need to be tomorrow. You have no idea that you may not even make it out of this door or to the next place you have to go. My friend, David Montes, great Bible study leader in this church, an elder 
is now, he's in the military, and he's now in the base at Georgia. And he told me this story, and it, it just shows us how short life is, but yet we're so deceived. One of his friends goes out with their family to the beach. Of course. I mean, why not? You're right by the beach. So they go to the beach. They're hanging out, and uh, they got a little condo there, uh, you know, someplace they're staying. And the father says to the wife, hey, I'm just going to take our daughter for a walk by the beach before we go out for dinner. How many think that would be a good idea? How many think if you were going to take that walk by the beach, in your mind, you're walking back home that night? Like in your mind, it, it's, it's not even crossing your mind if you're not coming home that night. You're, you're saying to yourself, I got this. I got this thing called life. I got it. I know how to breathe. I know how to feed myself. I know how to think. Man, I got this. I, I'm going to keep living. Life is in my hands. I do with it what I want. He's walking down the beach. True story. You can find it online. He also, David, told us to pray for the family. He also posted the article. At the same time, there's a man in a private jet that is flying with his family. And they begin to have mechanical problems. He has to make a crash landing. He says to himself, I cannot land in the city. I cannot land in these populated areas. I will land on the beach. You're walking with your daughter, and within moments, a private plane is landing on top of you. You're standing in front of God now, either being able to stay or being told to go. That's how they died. Did not even have a moment to say goodbye. Did not even have a moment to talk about life. That's why they say even, in, it's said in the ancient world and even say today that if you get a slow death, in some ways, though it's so painful, it's a better death because at least you get to say goodbye, honey, goodbye, my friends, goodbye, church, because of all these other deaths, instantly you're gone. No one ever to say goodbye to. And yet we, uh, we don't think that we're going to die, let alone think, like number four says, that we're going to go to hell. Because we don't want to believe that about us. Someone else may go to hell. Hitler, oh, of course, he went to hell after he killed himself. He went to hell. Yes, that's right. Charles, uh, or Ted Bundy, after they electrocuted him, he's in hell. But, but I'm not going there. I'm a good person. And we justify ourselves. Now imagine you're, you're a judge and you have to make a decision. And there's a man who comes before your court and he has killed somebody. And he comes there and he willingly admits, yes, I have murdered this person. No, no doubt about it. I've murdered them. But then he goes on to say, uh, you know, but this act of murder was really only 30 seconds of my life. I pulled a gun, shot an innocent person. Now they were dead. But uh, let's say they've been alive for 30 years. But the other 30 years of my life, I was a faithful husband. I took care of my kids. I worked every day. And, and you literally, you look at it. There's, there's no crime record. They, they came to work on time. They were a good citizen. Let me ask you, would you now say as a judge, go free from your murder? Simply because they confessed it and lived a good life all these other times? And you are made in God's image to understand justice. See, the reason why you understand two plus two is four, and you're not an animal salivating right now waiting for me to pull out a, a bone, the reason why you understand that is the same way you understand justice. See, I just gave you a mental equation, and you understood it. I will not let him go because of all the good he's done. There is a debt to pay still for what he has done. 
That is judgment. So you will say, God, I did not murder. I did not do this. I did not do this. I didn't do that. And God will say, but this is what you have done. You will stand account for this. Okay, let's look at another quote by C.S. Lewis. There are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Think about that. Two kinds of people. One that says to God, your will be done, God. And those whom God says in the end, your will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. I don't have time to keep reading it, but look at the number one from uh, the next one, number six, C.S. Lewis. Concerning hell, this is what he wrote. There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power, but it has the full support of Scripture, and especially of our Lord's own words. It has been held by Christendom, and it has the support of reason, and the reason comes from understanding justice. A scholar named Dorothy Sayers said this, We cannot repudiate hell altogether without repudiating Christ. So you want to take hell out of the equation? You've taken Christ out of the equation. Why? Because everything he did was based upon you not perishing and going there. The very reason he comes to die, the seriousness of that, is exemplified in the fact that there's an eternal punishment. If it wasn't that serious, then why doesn't he just do what the Muslim God commands us to do? Allah, all Allah commands you to do is more good than bad. You stand before him on judgment day. The scales are brought out. You've seen the cartoon with an angel here and a demon here. That's an Islamic concept. The angel that's always been with you telling you to do good will put your good works here that he has recorded. The demon that's always been telling you to do bad will take the works of evil you've done and put it here. If your good outweighs your bad, you're in. You're good. See, if that was the story of redemption, there would be no need of Jesus. Just do more good than you do bad. And sadly but true, that's how many Christians think. I'm not a bad person. Why do they think that way? Because they say, well, maybe 90% of my time I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I'm not like criminals who spend the majority of their time doing that. So number one, they falsely compare, not knowing they're not getting compared to criminals. They're getting compared to the perfection of Jesus. And then the second mistake they forget is that anthrax is the better example. 0.01% of anthrax, you drink it, kills you and everybody else in here. It's that powerful and effective at being a poison. That is what sin is. Yeah, you may, you may live your life 24 hours today, sleep for eight of it, work for eight, hang out by yourself for the other eight. And if you took all the time you sinned and all the things you did and put it up here, you may only sin for 20 minutes. That's right. But that 20 minutes is destructive to your soul. And you will be held accountable for it. No different than the murderer. So you have to understand that's why Christ came to die. The Son of God leaves the palace of heaven, the throne of heaven, and comes down to earth. He was called God with us. The moment the hypostatic union happened, we understood that something powerful was taking place. Why would God become a man? Why would he walk among us? Why would he suffer for us? And then we look back, and I say we as the church, we look back on those prophecies, especially Isaiah 53, and then we begin to understand it. He is a lamb. He is coming to be sacrificed. All the iniquity, all the sin was laid upon him. 
so that the Father's justice may be served. It is not a light matter. Salvation is not something you can do on your own by doing more good than bad. It is something that literally took the Son of God to come from heaven to die for. Is it something to be taken lightly? No. So those who go to hell are not going there because the debt hasn't been paid. It's because they've been unwilling to come and receive forgiveness. How many here have some credit card debt? Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have a mortgage? Raise your hand. How many of you have a car note? Raise your hand. How many of you have a life? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm kidding. Some of you all debt-free. I ain't going to tease. That's good. But I just had to make sure you all were up right now. Everybody got a life? How many are breathing this morning? Amen. What if someone said to you, I will clear your mortgage debt. I will pay your car payment. I will clear your credit card debt. I will clear your school loans. All you have to do is say, I believe in me. Now you'd say, you are a crazy person. But what if they disqualified and just say, believe in me that I'm a billionaire. So Bill Gates says, all you got to do is just come to me and say, Bill Gates, I believe you're a billionaire. How many would be willing to do that? It may sound silly, but I would come and do it. Uh, uh, Bill? Bill, you're a billionaire. <laughs> well, you're paying my debt. Oh, yeah, I'm happy now, you know. But, but look at heaven and hell. Some people may mock it even hearing that example. But listen, heaven and hell is that. Debts have been paid. When? On the cross. All sin? Yes, all sin. From the greatest to the least of us? Yes, all on the cross. And what does he ask you to do? To come to him and say, I believe you're my Lord and Savior. But what's, what's behind that statement? Well, it's the same kind of relevance to what's behind the statement of a billionaire. You have to value money. You have to understand what a billionaire is. You have to know who Bill Gates is. You have to put the facts together. But yet, still, it's a simple acknowledgement of who that person is. And that is the same thing with Jesus. Do you acknowledge you were a sinner and in debt? Most people can't even admit that. Okay, then you know you need a Savior. Okay, did he do that on the cross? Was he a real person or was he just make-believe, right? See, there's, there's a information, a truth that you're receiving, and then at the end of the day, the Bible says that's what saves the soul. It's by man admitting I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection paid that debt for me. Let me give you the theology now in closing qu uh, quickly. Uh, Rachel, would you come to the keyboard? The Bible talks about hell in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a conscious place that good and bad people would go. They called this conscious place Sheol, which was also known as the grave or the place of the dead. Number three, both the wicked and the righteous went to Sheol and waited resurrection. So before Jesus came, there was a place that both wicked and righteous people went, but yet it was divided. One was for paradise and the other one was for torture and hell. We see this in the parable that Jesus tells, a description of this, but it was mentioned in the Old Testament. Daniel talked about the end times, and when Jesus would come back to judge the world, he called him the Son of Man. And he said, at that point, those will come up from Sheol, uh, Sheol and be resurrected, and some will go to eternal damnation and shame, and others to eternal life. So if anybody tries to tell you hell was not spoken about in the Old Testament, that is incorrect. Jesus' teachings on hell were very clear. In the New Testament, Jesus used the Greek word Hades, everybody say Hades, to represent the same word Sheol, that place of the dead. He gives it even clearer definition now that the place the wicked go is called Gehenna, everybody say Gehenna, and that is hell and that is a torturous place, and the other one is called paradise, everybody say paradise. Thank you, so it's very simple. 
before the time of Jesus, you went to show bad and good people were there. Jesus comes. Before he dies on the cross, he tells us that's still happening, and he gives us better names to understand it. And he says, one is Gehenna, one is hell, one is paradise. He said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, okay? Number two. Hell was for the wicked. That's another word for Gehenna, same thing. Matthew 5, 22, and paradise was for the righteous, Luke 23, 43. Number three, Jesus spoke more about hell, Gehenna, that place of torture, than, any, than anybody else in the Bible and more than he did heaven. Here's how he described it. As a fiery furnace, Matthew 13, 42, with weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew 13, 42 as well, where the fire never goes out, Mark 9, 43, and where the worm never dies, Mark 9, 48. Jesus also reinforced Daniel's prophecy about the end times and spoke about that judgment to come where the righteous would go to eternal life and the wicked to eternal punishment. That's the scripture that we read at the beginning. Can I hear an amen? Prophesied in the Old Testament, spoken again by Jesus, waiting still today in this age for it to come. Here's what the rest of the authors of the Bible spoke about the New Te- uh, spoke about hell and afterlife. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew, uh, rather John 14, 15, and 16, that there's many things I have to tell you, but I can't tell you now. But when the Spirit of Truth comes, He'll reveal those things to you. So, what is Scripture? Theanoustos in the Greek, God breathed. So, after the Gospels, the narrative life of Jesus and His teachings, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost and in inspires the apostles to write the rest of the New Testament. Are you with me? Four books are only about the narrative of Jesus. All the rest of the 27 books of the New Testament, that's 23, are written by apostles. Well, even the Gospels are written by apostles, but it's specifically their narrative. Are you with me? So you don't discount it, you just put it in its proper place, and it's wonderful. What did Paul teach? He taught that when Jesus went to the grave, he goes to Hades, also known as Sheol in the Old Testament, and he brought those in paradise to heaven to be in the presence of the Father. This is why Jesus said you can't go there unless you're born again. Those that were in paradise before Jesus had died had not been born again. Noah had not been born again. Abraham had not been born again. He was in paradise waiting for Christ, the Messiah, to come to give them new spiritual life so they could enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's Ephesians 4, 8 through 10. That's why Jesus had to go to the grave for three days. Otherwise, you could have just killed him. He raised back up and said, boo, I'm back. There was a purpose in the three days. It was fulfilling prophecy, and it was doing what he had, he had promised he would do for those in paradise. Peter taught that while Jesus was in Hades, that place of the dead, he preached and condemned those in hell, 1 Peter 3, 19-20, because they had never heard Jesus. They had only rejected people who said they heard Jesus. Noah heard Jesus, but no one ever met Jesus who was preached to by Noah. Now Jesus goes down and talks to Noah's generation and goes, Hey, guys, remember that preacher Noah? He was telling you my word. You're staying here and you're punished. He goes to paradise, takes them to heaven. Goes to Gehenna, hell, and says, Who you rejected, these these prophets you rejected, they were not speaking on their own. They were speaking for me. You're judged. Bam, it's over. Now today... When an unbeliever dies, he goes to hell, this place that Jesus talked about, also known as Gehenna, in Hades, or the grave, Sheol, and waits for the final judgment where Hades will then be emptied into the lake of fire, Revelation 20, 13 through 15. So where is the last place that those go that are in hell? To the lake of fire. Think of hell as the county jail, the lake of fire as the penitentiary. They're waiting for the last days to come where then they will be sentenced in the lake of fire forever. And who did the Bible say the lake of fire was originally prepared for? The devil and his angels. Number four, on the other hand, when a believer dies today, they don't go to paradise. They go directly to be in the presence of the Lord. Why? Because they have been born again. 
And then they wait in heaven for the resurrection to come, where then they will reign with Jesus upon the new earth. And that's what my wife was talking about. There's a thousand-year reign where there's actually still people here with us, and then we reign only with the believers. You can see these questions, uh, see this information I got from Got Questions Online, just something for you to resource. Here it is summarized. Everybody say summarize. Shoal and Hades, Hebrew for Shoal, Greek is Hades, was the place of the dead until Jesus came. One section was for torment, Gehenna, also known as hell, and the other place was for bliss, known as paradise. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the righteous in paradise were brought to heaven and the wicked were left in torment. Believers who die now go directly to heaven while the wicked still go to hell in Hades. The wicked are waiting in hell for the great right throne judgment. Well, they will be sent to the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. This is called the second death in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. The righteous who are now in heaven are waiting for the resurrection. Well, they will be rewarded and able to live with Jesus upon the new earth forever. Here's some misconceptions that I want to help you to understand right now. Hell, Gehenna, is not the final place of the wicked. The lake of fire is. There's the scripture reference. Heaven is not the final place of the righteous. The new earth is. Does everybody get that? Number three, the devil nor his demons or followers will reign or enjoy the lake of fire. Everyone will suffer eternal punishment. And it's described as a place of a bottomless pit. The flame does not burn red. It is a black flame. So it's a flame that's not out of a heating substance we know. So it's hot heat, but no light, bottomless pit, so there's no grounding to where you're standing. It's a constant falling, a confusion, but you're there and you're by yourself, okay? How many want to go there? No, nobody wants to go there. Amen. That's what I'm telling you. Most people who are going there don't even believe they're going there or, or that the place exists. Uh, number four, there's no such thing as purgatory or post-death repentance. As you are in your death regarding Jesus is how you will be for eternity. So the Roman Catholics taught you purgatory. All you have to do is ask the priest, show me one place in the Bible where the word purgatory is used. It's not used. They try to take Jesus' parables and twist it to be that. But Jesus spoke clearly. It's only heaven and hell. And then some people like Mormons want to teach you after you die, then you get chances to repent. Hey, friends, I know it sounds better, but it's still not true. Okay? We could go to the Ebola victim and say, hey, you really didn't catch Ebola. You just got the flu. You'll get better in a couple days. But that won't fix them. Okay? Me trying to make you believe a story called purgatory or believe something called post-death repentance where I can then get baptized for you. They baptize for the dead in the Mormon church. That's the reason why. I'm telling you, it's a lie. It's not in the, tr it's not in the truth of the gospel. Number five, which is becoming popular today, the wicked will not be annihilated or stop existing. That's what Jehovah Witnesses teach and some liberal Christians. They say, how could God torture his people? He's just going to judge them and then he's going to have them not exist anymore. That is not true. The wicked will exist in a conscious state for as long as the righteous do forever. Remember the scripture I read at the beginning. One goes to eternal life, the other one to eternal punishment. The world eternal, aeon there, is the same exact word. The duration is the same exact time. Eternal life and eternal punishment. Lastly, I have a video that you can see the objections dealt with in more clarity. Here's three things to do to avoid hell. How many want to go to heaven, not hell, and reign with Jesus upon the new earth? Amen. Everybody say this with me. Believe, repent, and live. Very simple. Believe in Jesus and be born again. 
Jesus said in John 3, verses 3 through 16, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. It's not by good works as we were taught today. And by the way, do you understand why we preach the gospel every day? Every time you come, rather, we preach it so you and your family can be saved. And then why do we confess our confession? Because there's a lot of false teaching from the TV to the radio to the Internet. We want you to know what the Bible teaches. Amen. And I do want to tell you as I preach a message like this, we preach the same message of Moody, New Life Covenant, Assembly of God. This is the biblical foundation. Amen. It's not just a storefront church called Metro Praise International. This is the orthodox position of all good Christian churches. Heaven and hell and it's faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in him and you'll be born again. It's the message of Billy Graham. Number two. Repent and be set free from all your sins, Acts 2.38. After you've been born again, you can repent and say, Lord, I want to be set free from my sin. I don't want to live in sin. And you can live as Christ called you to live. And that's what we're going to study all the way to the end of the year, baby. Because in 2015, you're going to show up crispy and clean. Amen? You're going to show up as a new person, baby, in 2015. And you can start right now if you want. Amen? And then lastly, live your life as an obedient disciple of Jesus Christ. You get born again by believing. You repent of your sins and get forgiven. And then you say, Jesus, I'm going to live my life for you. How many want to live for Jesus? Amen. Can you stand to your feet? Let's give the Lord of Lords a hand clap. King of kings today, Jesus Christ our Savior. He died on the cross so that we might live. He said, I tell you the truth, in my Father's house there's many mansions. I go there to prepare a place for you. You don't have to go to hell. That place was made for the devil and his angels. But there's a place made for you in heaven, a mansion in glory. I know it may sound like a pie in the sky, but I want to tell you still in the 21st century, I would say let God be true and every man a liar. I know this is not a myth. I know it would be true. Jesus wouldn't have told us if it wasn't. Why would there be the historical man named Jesus in the historical record of his death, in the historical record of his resurrection, if there wasn't really a place called heaven? I'm not just hoping on a prophet. I'm not just hoping on a good person's words. I'm trusting in someone who said he came from somewhere else, who died in my place and went to a grave and came back up. And his disciples said they touched him and saw him. I believe in that person. I hold him at his word. And if he said he came, that I might have life, an abundant life, and he came, that I might have a second chance at this and be born again, I'm going to believe him. Does anybody else want to believe him today? Would you just close your eyes in prayer? Thank you for your patience. Altar workers, would you come please, man? As we get ready to close out, let's just pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. Those who are saved, come on, just thank him. Jesus, you didn't have to come, but you did. The Bible says, what kind of love is this? That you would die for me when I was a sinner. Oh, what kind of love is this? That you would call us your children. What kind of love is this? Lord, I want to know how wide, how deep, how long. I want to know the breadth of your love. That love that sent Jesus. Come on, is anybody thankful for Jesus today? Just thank Him. We thank you, Jesus. Those of you who are already saved, when was that day you were born again? Thank Him that you went from day, from night to day, blackness to light, from death to life. Come on. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
every head bowed and eyes closed. If you can't do that right now, if you can't think of the time you were born again, today can be your day. October 19th can be the day you got born again. November 5th, this year will make 19 years of me being born again. I'll never forget that day at my mother's kitchen table. She said, Joe, you can be born again. I said, what about all these other religions? What about all these things? She said, Joe, I don't know about that, but I know Jesus died for you. I know Jesus loves you. I mean, that's the gospel, friend. If you haven't believed that, you can believe that today. If you're here today and you say, well, I believe that, but I still don't live how I should, you can repent of your sins today. You can start living it out today. Just with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to leave out of here. Those of us on our way to eternal life will have something to rejoice about no matter what the economy has, no matter what we face in Iraq and the wars. We can be full of faith knowing that we have a place after this life. I want you who have not done that yet to be, uh, be with us. So I'm just going to pray for you. Lord, if there's anyone here that heard the gospel message from Pastor Jared and now heard the preaching that I brought forth and they have not been born again, I pray they do that today. I pray before they leave, they'll come to a prayer worker, confess their sins, receive you into their life, and become a disciple that lives it out every day. And Lord, I pray now for all of us here that we'll live it out. And Lord, whenever we do sin, we'll be quick to repent, not to go back to living that old life, but quick to repent to continue living this new life. Now before we go, just one last thing. The Lord put this on my heart, so please be patient if I went too long. Don't let me uh, be disobedient to God because he told me to do this one part at the end. Would you pray for three people in your life right now who are not born again, who may go to hell if they were to die? Would you just do that right now? That's such a serious thing. Would you just lift up friends and family that you know? Would you sing sing something lightly, please, in the background? Come on, let's just pray before I go. I felt the Lord tell me to do that today. Jesus, I pray that you save my sister today, Lisa, Lord. Don't let her go the same path as Jenny, God. Deliver her, God, from alcoholism. Pray for my brother today. Set him free, Jesus. I pray for their children, God. Justin, pray for them today, oh God. Pray for them today, God. Jacob, Tyler. Oh God, I pray for my neighbor, Stephen, Michelle, and their children, God. Fifteen more seconds. I know some of you can go beyond three. Let's just pray for them right now, Lord. Save them, Jesus. My neighbors, Ashton, Vivek, oh Lord, Sean, Pete. Oh, God, the lady that cuts my hair, oh, God, I forget her name, Stacy. God, I pray you'll save Stacy. Use me as a witness where I see when she cuts my hair, God. Oh, Jesus, you're hearing other names today, God. Let our church never forget these names. Let us be a church of prayer that prays throughout the week, that prays when we come into our Bible studies and life groups. And, Lord, let us not just pray like we're wishing and hoping. I I ask that we would pray in faith, that you would encourage us by seeing people get saved so we'll know that it happens. Lord, many people that are here today are here because someone else prayed for them, a parent for a child, a husband for a wife, a friend, high school friends. There's so many here that have come come to know you that way. Lord, I pray that you encourage us by saving them through us, Lord. Save them through us so we can see it. We're not just wishing and hoping. We know you answer prayer.
in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen? Would you bless them today one more time?